you've been with us over the past several weeks, you know that we've been looking at what has been called the 12 steps. And uh, that is an unusual thing to hear, an unusual thing to actually be considering uh, until you realize that Richard Rohr said this, the 12 steps are the only uniquely American spiritual contribution to the world. The 12 steps really represent or really are about this idea of a trustful intimacy with God. And all of these steps, they begin, there's a step one, two, three, four, and they go all the way up to 12. They need to be taken in sequence. They can't be skipped. You can't just skip one because you don't like it or because you think it's weird uh, and go on to something else. And you can't trivialize them either. If you were here last week, you heard me say the first three steps are really called the tango. Uh, It's really a one, two, three step sort of thing. You never leave those. To just summarize what that means, it really means this. I can't, God can, and I think I'll let Him. Last week we looked at step four, which went something like this. We made a fearless and searching moral inventory. (laughs) Um, I started it last week by saying, doesn't that sound like fun um, to do that? But once we've done that, what do we do with it? If we've really made that kind of inventory, if we've really taken that kind of look inside at our own lives, our own fears, our own uh, sort of thought patterns, uh, things that have sabotaged our relationships, and especially with those around us, what do we do with it? Step five says this, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another, the exact nature of our wrongs. If last week, it just gets more and more fun every week. Um, Look with me as we read from James chapter 5. We're really going to center in on verse 16 this morning. But here's what uh, Jesus' brother has to say to us this morning. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If they sin, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning because all of us, no matter where we are spiritually, no matter where we come from, no matter what we think about you, um, We need to be healed. There's so much in our life that doesn't work. It doesn't work well for us. It doesn't function well for us. It causes us untold heartache and misery, especially for those around us. And so we pray that you would be gracious to us, that you would heal us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 2006, the... The act of confession became an artistic uh, expression in New York City. Two performing artists created an exhibit in a storefront in Manhattan that allowed passers-by to alleviate their guilt. They dressed as 19th century washerwomen and sat in the storefront, one of them underlining the words on the glass that they put up, air your dirty laundry, 100% confidential, anonymous, free. The other painting would be the best description. Onlookers were encouraged to write their deepest secrets on pieces of paper um, and attach them to this window. 
Once they disappeared from sight, the ladies would collect their confession and display it on the window for everyone to see and that they would paint. The, the confessions went from humorous, funny, uh, to actually sad and really hurtful. They went something like this. The hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute. I want to see SUVs explode. Those people are so selfish. My girlfriend and I both think Osama bin Laden has a sweet-looking face. I make fun of this one friend behind her back all the time. She just enrages me. But I get freaked out when I think what she might say about me. I worry that this means we're not really friends. Human relationships are so confusing. I haven't slept with my husband in a year and I'm about to start an affair with... I haven't yet visited my dead parents' graves. I'm dating a married man, getting financial compensation in exchange for the guilt. I'm 25 and he's a millionaire. It pays to be young. New York makes me feel lonely. One of the artists write this, we feel overwhelmed at this project. We go there, the window's empty, we're wearing all white, and at the end, the window is full, we're covered with paint, it's exhausting. Some of these things are so sad, and afterwards, I need to take a bath. Look at what James says in verse 13, if any among you is in trouble, actually, technically what he says is if anyone is suffering, let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs. See, it's wider than just sickness that James is talking about. If you know anything from the Bible story, it goes something like this. Jeremiah suffered opposition. Ezra, bereavement. Hosea, marital breakdown. Anything James is describing here, anything that a friend would look at you in your life and say, yeah, that's bad. But it's also happiness he describes. It covers really the entire human experience here in just a few verses. And James says, because this world is broken, and it brings us to step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and another, the exact nature of our wrongs. What this step, what James is getting at, what a confession really is, is not an, an apology. An apology is really an expression of regret. It's basically saying this, I'm sorry. A confession is exactly the opposite of that. It's an admission of fault. One writer said this, an apology requires or addresses an audience. The hard reality of this step and of what James is talking about is this. It's really an audience of one is what he's describing. It's not I did bad things or even I hurt somebody. It's also not what somebody else did to me. We know this from real, rehearsing over and over again how I've been wrong. Playing the part of really the victim just wallowing in self-pity. Just to be honest with you, that's not fearless. It's not searching. And actually, it's not moral. Most of our confessions, what we at least talk about when we think about confession, is really about someone else. What they've done, it's, and this, is not about someone else. It's also not negative. What do I mean by that? The world, our world, functions on merit. 99% of the world's storyline goes something like this. I do this and this happens. I'm good, good things happen. There is another way to function, actually, is what James is getting at, to see the world. Instead of seeing the world based on merit or a retributive sort of justice, 
It's really restorative, and I'll get to this in a minute. So what exactly, when James says, therefore confess, what exactly is he talking about? He's talking about admitting is the best description I can give. Without excuses or blame shifting. Everyone says this, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. The way the step puts it is this, the exact nature of our wrongs. It's not what others think about you or what they think you've done. It's the things that you can finally own up to. The resentments I have because something didn't go my way. The angers, the fears, the insecurities that actually make us lash out at those around us or to throw a pity party. It's all the manipulations and the control, the ways I've tried to change someone so that my life would be more comfortable. If that's not enough, it's the thoughts, feelings, behaviors that sabotage your peace in your relationships. One writer said this, all notion of social sin, offenses against the common good, the family, the neighborhood, the rest of creation, or the future, we've all forgotten in favor of a few hot sins and an endless laundry list of trivia that we barely feel guilty about. The difficulty of step five is this. It's not getting off easy, and it has nothing to do with others. It has everything to do with how I respond, according to James, to both trouble, suffering, and happiness. In other words, to the things in my life from start to finish. Oddly enough, the contemporary television seems to appreciate this perhaps more than we do. An HBO series, a dark and disturbing miniseries, came out called True Detective. In the first season, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson played these famous sort of Louisiana detectives. In one episode, Russ is seen as the go-to interrogator for the department. That's Matthew McConaughey's character. He seems able to elicit confessions from almost anyone. Um, his method, he explains when he asks how he does it, is rooted in philosophy and in human nature. And this is what he says. Look, everybody knows there's something wrong with them. They just don't know what it is. Everybody wants confession. Everybody wants a narrative. The guilty especially and everybody's guilty. See, how do we respond to what James says, therefore confess to each other? We really don't talk about this much in Protestant churches. Uh, we tend to think that this is somehow Roman Catholic and it must be wrong. Um, because of that, uh, we've suffered spiritually. We've marginalized this idea, and because of that, we're malnourished. Because what happens is what we do not consciously acknowledge will actually remain in control from the inside, festering, destroying not only you, but the people around you. So what are our options here if that's true? That's what it is. Uh, and then it gets more disturbing because who uh, actually James presses us on Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Protestants, to be honest with you, in case this is kind of your first exposure in a Protestant church, we really don't know what to do with that, to be honest with you. Most of us, because we're so uncomfortable, we just ignore it. 
The order here, at least in this step, is very important. It says, admitted to God. That should be apparent. It should be easy. But the reality is we present before Him what we want to be, what we should be, or what we think we are and not what is. Just the anger that exists, the anger that God would allow addiction into our family. He didn't stop it. He could. He, I resent of everything that I've done, and He would bring this into my life. See, the amazing part of that is it sounds shocking that you would actually admit that to God, but He already knows it anyway. Um, he sees everything that is. And then we admit to ourselves just a willingness to face the real me behind the image. This is truly a blow to ego. Some of us, for many of us, we're just not ready to face what is there. The reality is when the time is right, we will. We can trust even that process that God is caring for us, that actually He's working to restore us. This step is really an attempt to stop self-delusion. And then lastly, therefore confess your sins to each other. We admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another. Just I need to be very careful here because there are some qualifiers. Just so you'll know, that's not your spouse. Um, if you think it is, you can come to see me later and we'll talk about that. Um, it's not just anyone either. What do I mean by that? Disclosing this to the wrong person only makes things worse. The hard reality, and we know this well, some people simply can't be trusted. They will use that information against you. It's, it's amazing how he sort of unrolls this. They'll use shame or guilt to try to fix you if that doesn't work. One writer said this, this is actually a soul friend is the way he described it. Someone that you can tell, unload your deepest secrets. Someone who knows everything there is to know about you and they embrace you. Someone who doesn't run from you and doesn't hold it against you. And they also don't try to fix you, change you, excuse it, or make us feel better. We do this in all kinds of ways. We'll say things like, oh, you're not that bad. Um, it's okay. Everyone does it. Most of us have experienced or been on the receiving end of that. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, Why is it often easier for us to confess to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He's just the judge of all evil and the enemy of all wrongs. A brother is as broken as we are. He knows from his experience the dark night of the secret soul. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than a holy God? If we do, we have to ask ourselves whether we've not been deceiving ourselves with our confessions before God. Whether we'd rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and granting ourselves absolution. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession, the forgiveness of sins, we're not dealing with ourselves, but instead dealing with the living God. God gives us this certainty through our brother. Let me ask you, have you got someone like that in your life? I hope you do. Because what James is saying is that this is a necessary part, not only of the Christian life, but of what it means to be spiritually mature. There's no spiritual growth or maturity without it. Just as importantly, have you ever had someone come to you 
to talk to you about their deep struggles, their thoughts, their anger, their self-pity. Because, see, it really begs the question, why not? Could it be, and I say this with really great tenderness, could it be that you're not a safe place? Look, I've been in the church a long time, and I can tell you there are people I would never share anything with. Um, because we operate, 99% of the world operates on this judicial merit mindset. It's why we view this so negatively. It's why it has to almost be drug out of us. It's the only time we do this is when actually we're caught. Confessing, James says, your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some have looked at this verse, so why do we do this? That's who, but why? Some have tried to limit what James is saying. They've tried to sort of take at this and sort of bend it and say, really what James is saying is if you sin against someone, go to them. Sort of repeating Matthew 5. Well, that's true. That's not a restriction. It has no bearing on what James says at all. The only forgiveness actually mentioned in the passage is God. Some have tried to sort of force this into corporate command as if somehow this is what we do corporately, but that's not clear at all from what James has to say. Most of us think this, I confess directly to God, but actually that's not what James is saying at all, and that's what's troubling about verse 16. Instead he says, confess to another person. Look at 16 again. Therefore confess to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. James says the reason we do this is because there's healing. This type of admission it heals the soul. It gets beyond the presented self, the self we let others see and want them to know. It moves beyond presentation to reality. And it allows us, according to James, to be free, to be healed of the very things that enslave us. Those things that we keep secret, and only in secret do they have power. And we know this well. They have power because they hold us in shame. What would others think? if they knew. Or they prosecute. What would others say or do? And yet James is saying this cuts the legs out from underneath that. It eliminates shame and prosecution. It heals you. But at the same time, it heals the other person. Because we share a common humanity. We are the same broken people. We serve a God who became human and was broken for us. We bring His presence into another's life when a real person can look at us, talk about what's going on deeply in their lives, and us to look at them and know that they're forgiven. This confession that he's talking about is the place where heaven and earth meet in this admission to one another. The story is told of two kids playing at their grandmother's house, and the grandmother loved gardening. She had a bird of paradise, I don't know what that is, Bush, uh, and that she took great pride and joy in. Uh, Jimmy was playing in the backyard with a sibling, and he accidentally broke off two of the biggest blooms on this bird of paradise. The sister came over and saw he was crying, and this is what she said. She said, I'm going to tell. Jimmy said, please don't, I'll do anything. And the sister, realizing what she had, said, you'll do anything. Yes, just don't tell. 
They came in for lunch. The grandmother asked the sister to put dishes in the dishwasher. She leaned over and said, I think Jimmy's going to do that. He looked and wondered why she would say that, and she just mouthed, bird of paradise. And he said, I'll do it. Middle of the afternoon, sister was asked to take out the trash. She responded, I think Jimmy's going to do that too. Um, And she whispered, bird of paradise. He eventually got tired of doing all the sister's chores, and he ran to his grandmother with tears and said, I have something to tell you. We were playing chase today. I fell into your bird of paradise, and I broke off two of the limbs. I'm so sorry. The grandmother said this. I already knew that. I was watching out the window, and I was just trying to figure out how long you were going to let your sister ruin your life. Um, <laughs> listen, we're experts at holding things against people, holding grudges, withholding grace, forgiveness, and especially against ourselves. Some of you here this morning need to hear, how long are you going to be enslaved by your past, your history, things done by you or things done to you? Those secret, hidden things, they keep us sick. Something always whispers in our ear, bird of paradise. Look, you have to admit to another person the things you've done and you'll be forgiven. That's where healing is to be found. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. Find someone. Find someone in God's people who knows about forgiveness who knows about shame, who knows about brokenness, who knows about healing. The reality is, Christians, we should know this. Paul says that there's no temptation that is common to man. Listen, no matter what's going on with you, you're not alone. The good news is, you're not unique and you're not different. Find someone, lay it out before them, With the right person, what you experience is a direct encounter with the love of God. Healing awaits. What James says is that there is a restoration, a healing. Why? Because we know what it's like to wander. Yet Jesus pursues us. Not to condemn us or shame us. Not to prosecute us, but to restore Do people around you, do they experience the healing presence of Jesus, His covering, or do they experience shame and prosecution? Do we sit in the mercy seat or in the judgment seat? When human beings admit the exact nature of their wrongs, we have a human and a humanizing encounter that deeply enriches both sides. And I can promise you this, it changes you forever. It is not an exercise in moral purity or trying to regain God's love, but instead it is a direct encounter with His love. It is not about punishment. It really is about liberation. Let's pray together. Father, You pursued us not in order to punish us, not in order to shame us, but instead in order to heal us, to restore us. You're all about the business of restoring us and the world around us. May we enter into that this morning. If we have failed 
to confess to another. If we don't know what that means, may you move us to do that. May we seek that. May we long for that. For I know for me, I long to be healed. I long to be made whole. James said, by confessing to one another, we are healed. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come.